Good morning. Today at 5, the doors open for the fest for Beatles fan at the Hyatt Regency at O'Hare. And the man who started this all, all decades ago is Mark Lapidus. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. I have heard that this is just a sliver of what people can find in this fest. Absolutely. We have the entire hotel and there's 13 or 14 ballrooms full of things. We have videos. We have discussions on a special guest. We have Peter Asher. Mm -hmm. And we also have Billy J. Kramer, legendary British invasion artist. Mark, what yeah. surprises me is that newer generations would be like, why are we still talking about the Beatles? And is there enough? Terry Hammond would kill me if she hears me say this. Is there enough to go around to make it new? And there is. Tell there me a little bit about the is. resonance. Why are they still so because popular? Because it was the greatest music ever recorded, and they changed the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, most mm -hmm. artists, they're happy. And we had Donovan on our stage, mm -hmm. and he said, I had nine hits. That's a great career. The Beatles have 150. I heard Even you say that. And yeah, it wasn't a true. long span of time either. It was seven years. That's all it was, 63 to 70. Yeah, here, 64. And yeah, every one of their songs, every single, were two-sided hits. And they mm. did four of those a year. And every album track, I mean, their most famous songs weren't even hits. Mm -hmm. Here Comes the Sun, A Day in the Life, In My Life. Those were album tracks. Right. And, there's, and we I still can, can sing them. Yeah. Birthday. Back in USSR. While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Yeah. They're album tracks. Other artists would kill for that one song for the whole to, career. Exactly. To and they it, yeah. have, it's not even, an album, not even a single. Yeah. And it's just the, this legendary. And it's, the legend keep, keeps going on. Keeps going on. Because the music is the thing. Yeah. Welcome to this week's One Lady with Fab. I'm Ed Chen. And I'm Martin Quibell. Joining us is our other friend and co-host from the Toppermost show, queen of all Beatles media, Kit O'Toole. Hey, Kit. Hey, Ed. Hey, Martin. Great to Your be majesty. back. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Since we had Darren Murphy on last week, we have to keep Kit even Steven. So we're having her back this week. <laughs> well, I'm thrilled to be back no matter what. <laughs> well it's, it's not really news as such it was good to see julian lennon went to the hollywood bowl to go and see um tears for fears uh live and oh, he caught, yeah, he caught up with he caught up with uh, with roland from tears for fears and it was like a reunion of sorts because they did an entire was it a gig together where he sang with the Tears for Fears? Great there. They, they looked like they were being friendly, smiley, and uh, had a lot of fun there together. Well, I mean, Julian's a nice guy. I mean, no matter what you think of what he may be doing at any given time or how he may be thinking at that moment in time, you know, he's someone who's part of the family. I thought that was a great shot of the two of them together and who doesn't like Tears for Fears? I mean, let's <laughs> face it. Definitely. Is there another Beatlesque band quite like them? Well, they've yeah, certainly that's... sown the seeds. Yes, that is definitely Beatlesque. Well, and even like everybody wants to rule the world, that has aspects of it in it. I think so. All right, so on to our topic for the week, which is the 2023 Best for Beatles fans. 
Anything else you want you want to add in? I can't think of anything. Not me. Nope, not me. All right. So as you're getting this episode, uh, we will either be at or just past the fest for Beatles fan Chicago 2023. Ed and I are going to be representing Toppermost of the Poppermost and Ed representing when uh, they was fab quite a bit at the fest. Uh, We're going to be on panels. We're going to be recording shows. And so we definitely hope to see you there and uh, hope you'll be uh, part of recording our shows. Uh, We're going to have a great time there August 11th through the 13th in Rosemont, Illinois. Some of these shows will be recorded in the same space they were recorded last year, so expect fun and games from the Apple Jam stage. Yes, indeed. (laughs) You're going to hear some polka renditions of something, or you never know what you're going to hear on that stage, uh, but hopefully the, the noise will be kept to a minimum. Oh, we hope so. But some of them, we are doing a giant crossover episode with uh, lots of good friends of ours, basically the hosts of almost all the other interesting podcasts around. And that's going to be in one of the main rooms. I believe so. Yeah, I think that's going to be in the paperback writer room. So that will be a lot quieter. We're going to be talking about the 50th anniversary of Band on the Run with Alan Cozen from Things We Said Today. Also, Andy Nichols from Two Legs. So that's going to be kind of a massive podcast crossover. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Great discussion. That had worked out well as a track. So we thought, great, we could, you know, it's an obvious title for the album. Then I think we were starting to toy with this idea of an obvious cover for a band on the run would be a bunch of prisoners who've maybe just escaped and maybe more obvious would be with chains on running through the desert somewhere. And we were going to have the prisoners who'd escaped. It was Linda, I think who suddenly thought, well, you know, if we're going to have a bunch of people, instead of just having some models in there, wouldn't it be great if each one of them was like a face you'd recognise? you think, ooh, it's him, you know. So we got their phone numbers. And then literally just rang them all up and said, do you fancy it? Got them all down to where the shoot was going to be, stuck some prison gear on them, and Clive Arrowsmith took the photo, ordered us all around, and then they put the big spotlight on us as it looked like we'd been caught in, and he found a wall somewhere that was perfect for it. But it was very slim backgrounds, you know, it would be me on drums and we'd probably normally, me and Denny had started off with a couple of acoustics to just get the song down, like you would for a demo, and then we'd just build it up like a sculpture. Actually, the greatest compliment for that was a year or so afterwards going out to visit John in Los Angeles and Keith Moon was staying with him and Keith said, yeah, man, who's doing the drumming on that album? I really like it. Why did you put Jet out as a single? What happened was one of the promotion men, a very good promotion man from Capital, called Al Khoury, who was having a very hot period selling a lot of records and moving, hey, you know, shifting vinyl, rang me up and he said, Paul, you put the wrong single out. You know, Helen Wheels, uh, shouldn't have done. He said, let me have the record, let me handle it, let me tell you how to do it. He said, I can increase your sales by a quarter of a million, guaranteed. I thought, well, that's fighting talk, you know, sounds it's the kind of person I like to hear. I said, but what are you going to do? He said, well, just yeah, listen to me. Put Jet out as a single. And that was one of his first sort of moves. I said, oh, yeah, that'd be good. He did the whole thing on Band on the Run. And it was the only album to kind of make number one, come down the charts and sort of go back up to number one. So, Martin, tell us about what you remember of 50 years ago. I mean, obviously, you didn't buy Band on the Run at the time, but thinking of 50 years of Band on the Run. I have memories of my parents buying the album. I think when it came out, I just remember being in that zone at that time, just transfixed by the music of the Beatles anyway, even as a, God, I would have been three years old at that point, maybe. Probably seen the Yellow Submarine cartoon on the television or something. So it's the perfect time to watch that sort of thing and for that to make a mark on you, I suppose, that age, three years old. The Sean Lennon and Danny Harrison model. Absolutely. Only older than them. <laughs> For me, the thing about Band on the Run is it really remains 
kind of the most visible of the McCartney projects out of everything in Wings and even all of his solo records is not necessarily the best, although some people will rate it as such, but it's the one that they did the picture discs on and it's the one that's been re-released any number of times. I have as many different copies of Band on the Run as I do Sgt. Pepper's. <laughs> yeah, it has been released and, and re-released in, in many forms. I'm not going to give away too much here, obviously, before our panel, but I really think it stands up. I think that's one of the reasons that you know we're still talking about it all these years later as Paul's touring. And of course, he's going to be touring um, once again later this year in Australia. And all. I mean, he still plays Band on the Run and people go crazy. <laughs> and, you know, to this day, if, you know, you don't think it's his best album. It's certainly top five. It's still a great masterwork. I think uh, as a child, I was so interested comparing it to the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's album. The cover is one of those things where I remember for hours on end, I'd be there and I'd be thinking with both albums, I'd look at the covers for Sgt. Pepper's and with Band on the Run and I'd be like, Who's that person? Who's that person? Who's that person? And then over the years, it's almost like you could fall down a rabbit hole, essentially trying to find out who these people are, what it is about them, why they are the people that they are. And I think they've got that similarity to each other with that aesthetic as well, the cover art. Well, and that's what Paul wanted. The only one who most people probably won't eventually get is Sigmund Freud's grandson. Clement Freud, yes. Exactly. You know, Parkinson, maybe in the States, we don't know. John Conti, if you aren't someone who is familiar with sports, you might not necessarily know that. But the rest of them are all really pretty big figures. Kenny Lynch is kind of a unknown if you're not a Beatles person. Yeah, because I remember when I first got that album many, many, many years ago, yeah, I didn't know who Kenny Lynch was at the time. Of course, now we... and. And if you listen to the Top Rose of the Popper most regularly, of course you know who Kenny Lynch is anyway. <laughs> I knew James Coburn immediately, of course. American. <laughs> Besides Paul Munda, of course. <laughs> well, and Danny. We can't forget Danny. And Danny, we- of course, Danny. Christopher Lee from the James Bond film, uh, oh, yes, Man with the Golden Gun. Yes, Christopher Lee. Of course, I, I recognized him as well. I like the fact that there are three times as many people on the album cover as there were in the band at the time. Yeah, that's very My true. <laughs> and if you go back and listen, Lonnie and I did a show not too long ago about Aubrey Powell and hypnosis and how the band on the run cover, as well as pretty much every other Wings album cover came to be. Hmm. It still amazes me that Paul hired these guys for pretty much every record from Red Rose Speedway forward, all the way to Off the Ground. Wow. Wow. The same group of artists who designed all of those record covers. He's consistent. (laughs) Not to mention a significant number of the picture sleeves that showed up on the singles. Wow. Again, a shout out for the British getting closer sleeve. If you've never seen it, it's a guy walking a lobster. Oh, as you do. Uh, exactly. You know, so it's like, sure. what's, what's going on here? Oh, it's a guy walking a lobster. And, <laughs> and as we learned from that film, Paul was not the original recipient of that cover. They offered it to somebody else who turned it down. Then it ended up in their reject pile. And it's like, oh, we can recycle this. And Paul said, yeah, that's a great idea to get back to Band on the Run. The album artwork, the poster, everything inside of that record, you know, it's something I miss from that era of rock and roll. Oh, for sure. Sitting and pouring over the cover and the lyrics and the gatefold and all those things. Yeah. We get a little bit of that these days. If you go and spend the ridiculous money on deluxe box sets, but even that is still not quite the same. Yeah, that's true. That will be all of us. Although probably uh, we'll let Alan do most of the talking because Alan is the one who, literally wrote the book. That's right. He's going to share insights from his book, but we're going to bounce around ideas as to the legacy of the album, and and Alan will talk about the making of it and share some stories probably from the book, and so it's going to be a great discussion. Really looking forward to it. 
Okay, going down the schedule, Friday night, you and Andy Nichols and Ken Womack are going to be doing a Two Legs Talk More Talk crossover. Yes, uh, we are going to be doing a late night discussion Friday at 10 o'clock in the paperback writer room, and we are going to be discussing the 80s year in the solo years of the Beatles, because a lot of times, with the exception, of course, of Tug of War, Cloud Nine, Traveling Wilburys, and maybe Flowers in the Dirt, you know, the 80s get kind of a bad rap in the solo albums. We're going to be discussing, do they really deserve that? And are they due for reappraisal? And so we're going to have a great time discussing the ups and downs of that decade in the solo albums. And so uh, if you want to break from the activities, from the music and so forth, come on and join us in the paperback writer room at 10 p.m. and join the discussion. We're going to really dig in to that decade and talk about the gems and maybe the albums that deserve another listen. Well, I mean, the thing about the 80s and the solo Beatles is Paul is really the only one who was consistently working through that decade. John was, of course, no longer with us. George, you know, kind of bookended it a little bit. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about, of course, the big highlights, but we're also going to talk about Gone Tropo. I think in recent years, it's gone through kind of a critical repraisal. And then, of course, Ringo and how he started off decade with some not so great material shall we say and then by the end of the decade started his comeback with first all-star band in 89 you cannot convince me that old wave is a bad album it's not a great album but it's at least a good album yeah and that's the thing that's another album that's starting to see a reappraisal you know it was kind of critically dismissed when it first came out but now it's starting to see. So that's what we're going to be talking about. So, Ed, you've got to be there. You know, stand up for old wave. Come on. Well, I mean, the... the, <laughs> the, 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 the will be square. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the dealer's room will be closed, so we can that's right. all go and do that. And then we can all go into the main ballroom where Ken Womack will be on the main stage. Exactly. Uh, giving his... Mal Evans' presentation, we were drawing ever closer to the release of the first of the two-book Mal Evans set. November's finally not that far away. Exactly. He's going to give a sneak preview to the book. So come on and talk about the 80s with us and defend your favorite album from that decade. And then just walk right with us to the main ballroom and we will get to hear all about the Mal Evans book. So, well, I hope there's going what? to be some dancing in that ballroom. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> no, there, actually, usually, there yes. usually is, yes. But usually it'll be around 10 o'clock now when we're going to be sitting and chatting about the 80s. So, you know, but you can, it starts at 9.30. So 9.30, go do your dancing for half an hour, talk about the 80s with us at 10, and then follow us to the ballroom at 11 and end your night there. Does it get better than that? We may be considering an open bar to help you with your dancing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> There you go. You want to say anything about 80s era solo Beatles, Marv? I am a fan of 80s solo Beatles. I'm probably one of those rarities that likes press to play and give my regards to Broad Street. Well, wow. Love it. You know that I'm a fan of Broad Street as well. It's not a, it's barely a good movie, but I'm always happy to sit down and watch it. Mm-hmm. I love the performances. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I wish you were going to be there, Marv. That, you, you would love this panel. But we're going to record it. By the way, many of these panels and all will be recorded and will be on our various shows. So you will be able to catch them in various places. So, And the ones that are not in the SeaTac room, the ones that are in the, the paperback writer room, may actually show up on the Fest feed for those of you who are considering purchasing the a virtual fast not a hundred percent sure of that unfortunately i know the main ballroom will be streamed yeah the the main ballroom is almost always streamed but sometimes they do cut away from music going on on the stage they won't show all of that they'll cut away from that so uh, we've we've actually got a better chance of showing up there on the stream than uh, if it were earlier in the day when you actually have 
guests that people want to see, like, for example, when Patty's going to be on the stage, you know that the fest feed is going to be right, right there on her. Yep. But yeah, Andy Nichols, thanks so much, Andy. He's going to be recording some of these panels. Um, of course, Ed, you're going to be recording Toppermost and When They Was Fab. And Andy's going to be recording a ton of stuff. So, including the Band on the Run panel. So, uh, so you can catch these across all our different channels. So why did you settle on Give My Regards to Broad Street? The very original thing was that we were just going to play a bunch of songs for a TV show. But it grew and it started to just little bits got added on here. And then, and then we said, well, maybe it isn't a TV show. Maybe we should make a sort of little movie. Well, this sort of grew into a feature film. And we got quite enthusiastic about it. I think I was expecting to have a big team from 20th Century Fox come down and show me how to make the film and, and, and stuff. Those are the dreams you have in the head that aren't true. They leave you to get on with it. You know, they don't interfere at all. In fact, a lot of them don't even know. They're like a lot of executives. You know, they sit on the fence and they just sort of, yep, 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 that's great, yep, yep, yep. What do you think about it? Yeah. We should have really been stopped. Someone should have said to us, no, this script isn't good enough. It needs to fix in there. That scene's got to be done. It wasn't that great, but it wasn't the world's greatest disaster. And I think the nice thing in it, there's some nice musical moments. George was funny, he did Shanghai Surprise. And I asked him, I said, how's that go, George? He said, it makes Broad Street look like an epic. <laughs> <laughs> As veteran fest goers know, the first day is just kind of a half day. It's really to, to ease you into the activities for the weekend. The appetizer, if you will. You will also be able to see Kit on the author's panel in the main ballroom. Yes, that's usually at around like 5.15 or so. Yeah, main ballroom, that's meet the authors. And um, and then, uh, then at 10 o'clock, the two legs and talk more talk crossovers. So yeah, that's it. And then I'll be at my author table and Ed will be- We'll right be on the other side me. of her, yep. Selling our Toppermost merch. We don't have any Fab merch, although we should probably get some. Martin, we'll talk about that. I think definitely the image that we have for the uh, the podcast would look great on a t-shirt. As long as we get all the names on it. We were just talking to Kid about that. Since we have switched over to the multi-host format, we don't have all the names on the logo yet. We'll be getting that real soon. Good. All right. So the Saturday and the Sunday are both all day. Yeah. I think it ends a little bit earlier, like it ends at 11 instead of midnight, but it starts a little earlier. I think Sunday it may start at 11. I'm not 100% sure. And this year I'm not leaving on the Sunday, so I will be there through the whole fest this Yay! time. Yay! I was going to ask you that. Yay! Excellent. I get to get up at, oh, 4.30 or 5 on Monday morning, but... Oh, well, uh, that stinks. But I'm so glad you're going to be staying. Excellent. At noon, Kid is going to be part of a very special panel called Fab Four Generations of Fans. This is going to be a panel that is going to have different generations. Everything from, obviously, first-generation fans to Gen X. Woo-woo, that's me and Andy. And Gen Z, Skylar Moody, who many of you know is a Beatles TikToker. She's going to be on there. I'm not sure who all else. Those are the ones I know for sure. And so we are all going to be sharing our different experiences as fans from the perspective of our various generations. So it should be a lot of fun. Uh, are they so, Gen Z or are they millennials? I, I think they're millennials. Are they millennials? I'm an idiot. I always, I can never keep straight. Which are Gen Z, which are millennials? <laughs> That's how you get four generations. You know, you, you get the first generation, you get the ones born in the 70s, and you get the ones 80s to 90s, and then from late 90s to early aughts. <laughs> yep, exactly. So I know we're on there. There may be more. Uh, that are on the panel. I'm not sure, but it'll be a really interesting discussion. Looking forward to it. I have no okay. knowledge whatsoever of where I fit into these names. I'm borderline. I mean, I'm I'm too young to be first generation, but I'm borderline second generation. Kit is probably second yeah, generation second of generation. fandom, and <laughs> that's probably where you would fit in as well. I would say if you remember the release of the original CDs, that makes you second generation. Yeah. Okay. And then if anthology was a big thing when you were young, that would be anthology. And then one that would make you third generation. And then rock band forward would be the current, the fourth generation. It's amazing. We can literally define 
these ages by what was going on in the Beetle world. Yep, that's another way to look at it. That's true. Yeah, my bring that up uh, during our conversation. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. A good topic. No I'll credit bad, you, Ben. Off you go, Kit. Yep, there you go. <laughs> it really was a big deal for us when the CDs came out, whereas I can't tell you how many first-generation fans were like, well, why do I care about these CDs? Yep. Oh, it was a big deal when they came out. I remember that. It was in high school when they came out. As opposed to us, where it's like, Streaming? Great. I'm glad it's on streaming, but that's not a big deal. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's right. The recording business is enjoying a new vitality these days, and this has to be one of the reasons, a compact disc. Another reason has to be the latest releases on compact disc by a vintage band from Liverpool. From the newly released Beatles CD, A Hard Day's Night, here's Can't Buy Me Love on 102.5 Classic KZOK. The release of the first four Beatle albums on compact disc is one of the hottest recording events in years. In fact, like the resurgence of the artists of the 60s, the Beatles on CD is causing a rediscovery of the music of the 60s. It's definitely bringing back a lot of really good, excellent music that's been kind of, not forgotten, but kind of set, you know, set aside. And people are buying these albums on CD, like all these Beatles releases, and, you know, and it's a whole new world because it sounds so good. It sounds great, but patience is still required. The Beatles CDs won't be available to the public until Thursday. However, a good look at the old masters of new music is available on Cairo tonight. Bob Branham, Eyewitness News. So right after that is the giant crossover, the band on the wrong crossover, which we described at the top of the show. Yep, that will be 1 o'clock in the SeaTac room on Saturday. And then at... 4.15, you have your Talk More Talk, the Rack yes. Your Brain show. That's right. We're, do- we're back with another Rack Our Brains episode. It went so well last year, we're doing it again. And so uh, it's going to be with Ken Womack, who, of course, was one of the founders of our show, with Chuck Gunderson, who you all know, I'm sure, from his terrific books on uh, the North American tours that must have for your library, and Piers Hemmingson, who wrote other essential reference on the Beatles in Canada, all their Canada releases, their tours. And I have to mention, Al Sussman was supposed to be on the panel. He is not going to be able to attend the fest this year. He is a mainstay of the fest, and it's the first one that I can remember where he's not going to be there. So we all send our thoughts to Al. He's getting much better, but uh, he's been battling some um, illnesses. And so just want to say we're thinking of him. We're going to miss him at this fest. So that's going to be that panel. If uh, you're listening to this before the fest, if you're going to be at the fest and you're going to be attending this panel, which I hope you are, bring questions. Wreck our brains as we ask each other questions that are opinion-based, not trivia. For example, do you think Band on the Run is Paul McCartney's best album or, or not and why? You know, something like that. So that's an example. So either bring the questions with you. If you are not going to be at the fest, you can send them to us. You can actually go to our Facebook page, Talk More Talk, or you can go to our YouTube channel and leave your question. I just posted a video yesterday talking about this episode we're doing. You can leave them right in the comments. So uh, so bring your questions. So, Ed, I fully expect you uh, to uh, be bringing a question. I'm probably going to have to be staying at the table because you know, both you and Piers will be. Well, that's true. That's true. Well, you well, <laughs> submit a question. I have submitted my question, and we have never gotten it on either on the uh, actual <laughs> show or, or on the live show. You know that's my true. question. My question is uh, compare and contrast Ostrid and... Stu's relationship with John and Yoko's relationship? That is a good question. I will put that down and hopefully we'll get to it. Martin, if you want to submit a question. I've got a question for you. Whoa. (laughs) That sounded ominous. You're going to spoil it here or you're going to leave it for offline? Are you ready for this? My question is. Okay, I'm writing it down. With all the material that Paul recorded during the 
off the ground sessions. Mm-hmm. Do you think the album that came out was the best it could be, or could it have been a better album with different material? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Okay, was the best album could have been, or could have been better with different with the different material? Okay. Great. I'm not going to answer it yeah. because I don't want to spoil we're, it. We're, we're holding off on the answers for the show, but now you have the questions, and, well, one or both of those better make it into the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this is great. I've got two questions here. Excellent. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll send somebody there with one of those red dots that is aimed just in case. <gasps> Damn. <laughs> we're just kidding, I folks. know. Yes, we are kidding. Absolutely. Tom's not there, is he? Because uh, good luck with your move, Tom. Yes, absolutely, Tom. Thinking of you. He's moving house, everybody. He's going to Vegas for now. That's dangerous. We know someone who lives in Vegas. I know. That's right. Road trip. (laughs) So this reminds me of something else. Believe it or not, there are other Beatles podcasts out there. Mm -hmm. So between our appearances in the SeaTac room on Saturday, there will be the Untitled Beatles podcast doing a show at 2.15, I believe. Yes, I think that's it. And since we were just talking about the love show in Vegas and such, go and listen to their latest episode where they actually saw and reviewed the love show as it currently stands, giving them credit. They have come up with some news, which is despite the fact that the Mirage sale to the Hard Rock folks, if it's not already completed, it will be completed very soon. The story that love would be ending this year is apparently not true. They are going to extend it through 2024. So you'll have at least one more year to be able to go and see the love show. Thank God. Yep, because yeah, I'm going to try to, to get there as I would love to see it again. We'll mention that should Paul make it somewhere closer to the United States, if not the United States, I have gotten Kit to agree that we're going to go and do a sound check. It worked last time, so I'm going yeah, to... I know. He's very going persuasive. To, going to keep at it. Given that we never know when it's going to end, you really do have to experience soundcheck at yeah, least once. That's true. You will hate me because then you'll just want to keep going. I mean, like I say, I've, <laughs> I've been to six or seven now, but... Damn. Wow. I didn't know it was that many. Wow. Maybe not that many. Four or five. Yep. Wow. But, that's still a lot. Well, it used to be only about twice the cost of front row seats. Wow. Now it's about four times that cost. Yep. (laughs) But the first three or four times I went and did sound check, it was because, A, I didn't want to have to go through the trouble of waiting in lines, and B, I knew I wanted close and on the floor anyway. Mm -hmm. Martin, are you you going to see the uh, Australia shows? That's a little bit far for you too, isn't it, Martin? Oh, is it? It is. It is. Very, yes. Oh, Oh, sure. Shame. I I saw Paul in Birmingham a few years ago, and that was incredible. Oh, that's good. At least you've seen him recently. Uh, The flight may be shorter from Los Angeles than it is from London to Australia. And then immediately after the Rack Our Brains is going to be Robert Rodriguez with an edition of Something About the Beatles. Uh, Yes, and he's going to be interviewing Aaron Weber. Erin Torkelson-Weber, one of our favorite people. Yes, she is the author of, and I forget the exact title, it's like Beatles and the Historians. I I know that's not the exact title, but it's a book that studies the history of Beatles scholarship and histories of the Beatles themselves, and it's very well regarded. I've got to pick up a copy. I've been meaning to pick it up forever. I have met her, and I saw her present on the book at a conference back in 2017. Very interesting. So that will be right after Talk More Talk. Between Mm -hmm. our two shows. Right. And then... The finale of the day is going to be this show live with Kit and... Ken Womack, you know, these same names keep showing up. Yeah, (laughs) what do you know? Yes, we are going to be talking about the Red and Blue albums and also talking about what preceded them, the mysterious Alpha Omega. You know, really uh, quite a story. This wasn't planned to be topical when we came up with the idea, but it's looking like it's actually going to be right in the wheelhouse for what's going on at the fest. Uh, You know, if you've been listening to this show or, well, any other of these Beatles podcasts, it is looking like 
late September before John's birthday, we are going to get not only a reissue of the Red and Blue, but we're going to get the new Beatles song, most likely now and then. Yes. So yes, this turned out to be a pretty timely uh, topic. (laughs) We're going to talk about the impact of the Red and Blue albums, how they came about. So it should be a great discussion. Looking forward to that as well. Hopefully we'll know a bit more before the fest so we can work that in to our, our discussion that we'll know even more about the the release date and so forth. So, given the rumored release date is late September, early October, and Apple has made their policy that we are going to announce the items between 50 and 55 days prior to the release and guess when 50 to 55 days falls for the end of September. <laughs> I can't imagine. As I've been saying to you all week, who did Mark Lapidus pay off to get the announcement of the new Beatles project? The official announcement. We've known about it for, oh, probably three weeks a month now. Yep, exactly. But yep. get the official announcement, the week of fast. That's right. Exactly. So if you are just really just excited, as all of us have been, and chattering about this for a month or however long it's been, you know, and you're just dying to get this remix collection in your hands and you've just been dying for it, come to our session. Come to the special edition of When They Was Fab and talk about it with us. And we'll talk about the history of this collection, the Alpha Omega incident, what led up to the release of this collection. We'll help you get primed for this. If he's not busy, we should probably invite Jay Bergen in because Jay Bergen knows a lot about the television advertising of rock and roll records, courtesy of John Lennon's Roots recordings. Yes, that's true. Maybe we can get him to join us. We'll see what his schedule's like. The whole thing about the Alpha to Omega was this package was advertised on network television. Yeah, how about that? You go and you tune into Happy Days, and (laughs) there in the middle of Happy Days is a commercial for this Beatles collection. It's like, that doesn't look right. (laughs) Hey... (laughs) (laughs) sit on it (laughs) I'm walking down Lexington Avenue with my wife at the height of the excitement over happy days and all of a sudden walking down Lexington Avenue is Paul McCartney my heart is racing my wife is hovering above the sidewalk I cannot believe that a beetle is coming toward us. All of a sudden he said, Oh, the Fonz, I've always wanted to see you. And I was speechless. A woman came up and said, A beetle, the Fonz, can I just stay here? He said, I'm sorry, we're in the middle of a conversation. Another woman came out of a shop, a flower shop, and gave us both a rose and said, I can't believe this is happening in my lifetime. There is so much to say, and you know, you you want to, to light incense to him right at the moment, you know? And then it's shocking that he's saying, oh, I'd like, I'm glad I'm meeting you. And I'm thinking, he's glad he's meeting me. You know, he's a beetle. Holy mackerel. John and Julian, visited the set of Happy Days before it aired, before anyone knew anything about this show. John Lennon went stumbling across the Paramount lot and showed up on the Happy Days set. I think someone said to him, hey, John, you love the 50s. There's this 50s show filming. That's right. So everything connects back to the Beatles, you know. With the guy from the Andy Griffith show. Who would be responsible for eight days a week, the Beatles touring years, many years later? Mm-hmm. Lisa? Nothing is Beatle-proof. That's right. There you go. We're looking forward to that. We'll find a way to get Ken to talk a little bit about Mal, although I don't know for a fact, but I wonder if Mal had anything to do with Red and Blue. He was kind of one of the few stalwarts left at Apple. I honestly don't think that Alan Klein was sitting around programming these discs. Yeah, I don't know. Ken will be joining us for this discussion, and and we'll uh, see if he can shed some light on what Mal had to do with this collection. 
it's an interesting set. As we mentioned, it has kind of morphed through the years, and it's this also kind of falls in line with your generations discussion. To the current generation, red and blue was just like this ancient artifact. Right. And first generation was kind of like, again, why do I need that? But for so many of us born in the late 60s and early 70s, this was the one that got us into it because not only did it give us a glimpse at the hits, it gave us a glimpse at the whole breadth and depth of the band. Right. It was my introduction to the Beatles. It would be that way for some of the people into the next generation. Uh, I believe... uh, our good friend Ethan Alexanian says that his dad played the Red album for him, and that's what got him into it. Wow. Okay. But it would be replaced for the next generation by one. Yep. The 20 Greatest has never really caught on as an intro for people, although, you know, that may be what they were trying to do. Yeah, I mean, see, for me and some people that I knew, it was. That's how I got it. 20 Greatest Hits? 20 Greatest Hits. Oh, that okay. was. For the first time ever on a single album, 20 number one hits by the Beatles. The Beatles' 20 greatest hits. An outstanding album value at a special low price. On records and high quality XDR cassettes from Capitol. And it was an eighth grade chorus class, and a fellow classmate brought in that album and played it. On Fridays, we could bring in our own music to play, and somebody did. And that was the collection. I heard eight days a week, and that was it. <laughs> so it was that album. And it was being promoted heavily at the time, because I remember there was a clip of Love Me Do that was being played quite a bit. Chicago didn't have cable yet, so it wasn't on MTV that I saw it. It was uh, a local video show that was playing it. And I remember that because at the end of the clip, they showed the cover of 20 Greatest Hits. The place I remember watching those was NBC on Friday nights in the late night slot. And they played that frequently on that show. Yes, I think I saw it on there, too. There you go. So, yeah, that was my introduction. It, it was the 20 Greatest Hits collection. On Friday Night Videos, Michael Jackson, The Police, Rod Stewart, new videos by Elton John, and Styx, special segments on The Beatles and The Doors, a video vote between David Bowie and Duran Duran. Listen to a previous episode of When There Was Fab when there was an entire discussion about compilations. I can kind of see Apple's point of view which is like even with the one plus collection we're 20 years out from having a collection like that that might attract people bring them into the fold so maybe it's a good time to brush up red and blue and bring out a shiny new edition of it especially since they're going to remix all the early material which was always their concern mm-hmm. you know no one's going to really want to listen to she loves you in mono Right. So, okay, we're going to give them what they want. We're going to put the drums in the middle. We're going to give you a really nice stereo mix of it. Yeah, I am kind of looking forward to hearing that. That's true. As opposed to the fake ones we've had for all these years, uh, where someone synced the Sleepdeek backing with the She Loves You backing on the other side, and you could isolate the drums out that way, but it just didn't sound quite right. No, not the same. That is our show on Saturday night, the main episode of Fab. The best introduction to the Beatles Two remastered double albums The Red Album, 62 to 66 The Blue Album, 67 to 70 
guitar. The Red Album and the Blue Album remastered from the Beatles. Then on Sunday at 2 p.m. is Toppermost. Fest debut of Toppermost, the Poppermost. Very excited about that. And we are going to have a local twist with this episode. Of course, we're staying with 1963. You know, we're, we're staying consistent with that. But we are going to talk about selections from five charts. Since this is not Toppermost, basically what we do each month in Toppermost is we go through the British charts and the American charts and we discuss the songs on there, not only the Beatles songs and the Beatles-related songs and other NEMS acts and other groups associated with the British invasion, but influences and acts which would be influenced by the Beatles on both sides of the pond. Yeah, we don't just talk about the Beatles songs. We talk about the groups. Some of them have direct connections to the Beatles. Others are perhaps uh, artists that influence them, or we even talk about songs and artists that are representative of trends that were going on during these weeks and trends that may have influenced the Beatles. And we sometimes even profile songs that are just plain quirky are just representative of some of the more interesting, unusual tracks that were hits of the time. And we will create fictional relationships, although we will tell you that these are fictional relationships. Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll we'll definitely be honest if we say this is a really, really tenuous connection, but we just have to include it because it's just too weird. We just have to share it. We've just been having such a great time, the three of us, doing this. This is the first time that we will be doing this at the fest. Maybe next year, Marv, we can get you to New York or Chicago and and we can do this together in person. I've got my fingers crossed for that. Yep. Oh, that'd be great. That is how the regular show goes, but we have to change up the format ever so slightly because of time limitations. And because we're in front of a live audience, it doesn't make quite as much sense to, you know, just read off this song is here and this, this song is there and here's how it was influenced by the Beatles. But it turns out that in certain cities in the United States, Please Please Me and then later For Me to You would both appear on local charts. Indeed, and one of them being Chicago on uh, WLS, which was legendary station. It still exists, but it's no longer a music station. But it was a powerful station here in Chicago. And so we get to have a little bit of a local slant to our episode that we're going to record at the fest. And we talked in a previous episode of Toppermost about Dick Biondi, who is a powerful DJ and is credited as being one of the first DJs to play a Beatles record in America. He passed away recently, and so we're going to pay a tribute to him. So we're going to use one of the charts that he would have been playing records from. We're going to have a great session involve the audience, ask some questions that I think probably a lot of people who were listening to these stations when they were teenagers will be able to uh, share their memories with us. So it's really going to be a good time. Yeah, it's a real shame that Al can't make it. Al has been invaluable to us in presenting the view of someone who was actually there listening to the radio in the early 60s. Yeah, really. It's Yeah, he would love this. Uh, it's really a shame he can't be there, but next year he'll be there. And it wasn't just WLS in Chicago. Mm-hmm. KNUZ here in Houston, Texas had Please Please Me in their top 40 as well. It's just amazing how many stations did. Not that many. I, I mean, mean but, but more than you'd think. As the legend goes, there was no success, no success. No one was paying any attention to them. And yeah, mostly no one was paying any attention to them. But if you could get a disc jockey to play the record, it would get enough notice that it would appear on the local chart. Really astounding. So that's going to be our panel for uh, our debut at the fest. So we do hope you'll join us there. And we're just really excited to finally do this in person and debut at the fest. Well, and then the thing to say about Dick Biondi is 
he left WLS during the course of that year. He went to KRLA in Los Angeles. I mean, nothing against the Chicago market, but mm-hmm. obviously the Los Angeles market would have a much bigger influence on the national charts. Right. So definitely 63 was a you know, very pivotal year for Dick Biondi. Absolutely. The Beatles and police, please me. But he came back to Chicago. He came back to his roots. He continued to support the Beatles and his time at KRLA in Chicago. He got from EU on the air and it did make its way all the way up to bubbling under between 100 and 120 on the Billboard charts in 1963. Indeed. Right. So, yeah, he really played a role in, in breaking the Beatles in America. And then beyond that, I find it interesting. You look at the dates on these charts. You have Please Please Me charting at various places in the country from February, which is basically when it was a brand new record in England, all the way through to like June. Mm -hmm. It's not like it is today. And, you know, that's one of the things we lost in this era of programmers programming music from far away. Yeah, that's true. Really has changed. One of the things that we're going to talk about when we talk about these local American charts is the localization of the music. You know, there were regional hits, which is something that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, that's right. That's a a fascinating aspect of it. And yeah, you, you absolutely don't see it anymore. It just shows you how much has changed in all these years. Mickey Gilly of uh, Gillies and of Urban Cowboy fame actually had a song called I Ain't No Bo Diddley, which was in the local charts. It's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, when you shared that, I'm like, I've never heard of this song. I mean, well, I it, Mickey Gilly, of course, but. Of course. It has since appeared in various compilations, but it was a song that he recorded in a local studio. And the label was a local regional label. So mm-hmm. those local sales must have helped in some way even small to have built up a bit of an undercurrent of an interest in the Beatles before there was the national releases. One thing we're going to talk about in the next episode of Toppermost, it wasn't all that big a difference. It's just that America was a much bigger country. If you look at the record sales, starting with Love Me Do, which barely had 100,000 in sales, it built up release by release until She Loves You would sell over a million copies in the UK. Yeah. So each single would progressively sell more discs. Interesting. That is Sunday at 2 p.m. And then our day at the fest will be closing with uh, the media panels. Yes. And it's a little confusing on the schedule because they list two media panels, one at five, one at 545. And one says media panel and the other says Beatles media panel. (laughs) So I'm assuming it starts at five and it's in the paperback writer room, I believe. And it's going to be with people from all different types of media, everything from podcasts, of course, Skylar with TikTok. And it's just going to be kind of a freeform discussion about sort of the state of Beatles media. And it's usually an interesting discussion about what we do and how we do it. And it's, uh, you know, I think usually, as I said, Wally Pedrazic, who I, I'm sure many of you know. Who you was know, a guest on Fab many years ago. Yes, that's right. We had a really nice two-part discussion on the Beatles and the late night talk shows. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that, yeah, and of course, that would be right up his alley uh, since he teaches media. And of course, as many of you know, is also a pioneer in Beatles research. I mean, really wrote, uh, if not the first, one of the first works of Beatles scholarship. Uh, he's, he's really, a, a, as I said, a pioneer. And he moderates 
a number of the panels um, all weekend at the fest. So I'm assuming he'll moderate this one. Uh, he usually does. So uh, it should be a, a very interesting discussion about the state of Beatles media, and, you know, podcasting, video casting, TikTok, you name it. So that'll be in the paperback writer room, I'm guessing at about five o'clock. So yeah, not to give everything away. What do we kind of think uh, the future of Beatles media is going to be? And do you think, for example, is Apple going to try and close their hands around this more tightly than they have in the past? They seem to be a little bit weird in that they sometimes have a hands-off approach and sometimes they will want to be very protective of the rights, which are granted their rights, but it seems that they don't necessarily know which way they want to go with that. If they were smart, uh, you know, really smart, they would work with more. I mean, like Sean Lennon, I think has the right idea and maybe he can lead the way in this because he works with a lot of video casters. For example, he looks at people like Joe Mayo, the Mean Mr. Mayo channel, Andrew Dixon, another video caster who reviews box sets and so forth. And he noticed that when the Give Me Some Truth set came out, that they were reviewing you know, the set. And he contacted them personally and said, hey, I like what you did. And they gave honest reviews. I mean, they weren't just saying, oh, everything's wonderful. But he saw the potential there and thought, hey, maybe I should start sending them releases from the Lennon camp to review and work with them. And that's what he does. And I think whenever the Harrison estate starts releasing stuff, they should do the same thing. I think they see the power of Beatles and Beatles-related media instead of, you know, seeing it as a threat and slapping people with, you know, cease and desist and, and that sort of thing. I don't know how soon that's going to happen, but I just find it interesting that Sean Lennon in particular seems to be more of a friend of, uh, to a degree, of Beatles media. Yeah, I think Apple and you and me, if they don't want to spend the time or the money to send out physical box sets, they should at least provide links to all of the, you know, serious podcasters. You know, there's some podcasters who are not that into it. I mean, you know, they're just doing it just to do it. But I mean, you know, like all of us, Go ahead and send us review links if you don't want to send us physical boxes. Because right now, it's so difficult for us to get something, listen to it, and come up with a cogent review at the time of release, which is really all of our goal. Right. And particularly, you know, those podcasts and video casts and all that have a decent subscriber base, I mean, and listener ratio and all. I mean, you know, I understand there are a lot of them out there, but, you know, I think... Sean Lennon certainly seems to understand that, hey, these channels all reach a n wide number of people. And I know when, for example, on Talk More Talk, when we've had certain authors on or a couple of times we've had, you know, musicians on and people will say in the comments, wow, that looks great. I'm going to buy it. Digital watermarks are fine. A, we're all going to buy one and probably multiple copies anyway. Yeah. Sending us a digital, yeah, I know. We're just kind of, we're, we're complaining to you, but hopefully it reaches the ears of somebody in, in some power. Mm -hmm. But uh, we don't care if it's digitally watermarked. We don't even care if it's necessarily slightly lower resolution. Just give us some access to it before the official release date. So on release date, we can all go out and sing your praises or, or not, as the case may be. I mean, we, we'd all do certainly want to be honest in our reviews, and I think we do try to be so. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I think we all try to be fair and give honest assessments. That's what we do. But I think that might be an area that Beatles Media could really excel in is, is working as when I say partners, I don't mean that we are just going to parrot whatever Apple or whoever is sending us the stuff wants us to say, but just recognize that we have decent subscriber list, you know, numbers and, and that we can 
help get your message out and and we can it, we're not an adversary in other words <laughs> and i think from apple's point of view it's like well we're doing the beatles channel and and you are doing the beatles channel and that's a great thing and and you're hiring some of us like caitlin larkin as hosts on the beatles channel but we are still out there as a separate entity the beatles channel is still always going to be something owned by you guys yeah yeah we're we're independent yeah i mean i think it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens as time goes on you know where podcasters and, and video casters and so forth are going to fit in well and i really kind of think this coming boom in virtual reality is going to do something for us in the Beatles world as well. I think that's certainly going to be an excuse for Apple to put out some new things. They're already trying that to a certain extent with the Atmos mixes and the full surround mixes. That's something which didn't exist before. But as things like the Apple Vision Pro, as both a work and a recreational tool, come into much more common use, it's not going to be holograms, but you will be able to display a lifelike Beatles concert and surround yourself with it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, you know how I feel about that kind of stuff, but... <laughs> well, but, but I mean, that's... But I know what you're saying, yeah. And that isn't even necessarily, you know, holograms. It's not, it's not the weirdness of holograms. Mm-hmm. It is really just, you could take the existing footage and you could display it in the device such that it completely fills your field of vision and looks like you're there. Oh, okay. As long as we're not talking holograms. What would be easy to do on one of those devices would be to literally put yourself down from the stage at Shea Stadium. Because, you know, we have all of that footage. You could make 3D models and then just exactly what's in the film, but in, in a 3D model where you can look around and see and experience it as if you were there. Right, right. All right, that is the fast, and don't forget to go to the party at the end of Sunday night because Kid O'Toole always gets a very special solo. <laughs> Acapella. <Total. laughs> oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> nope, you can watch uh, a bunch of us guests get up on stage and sing Hey Jude with the band. Seriously, it's a yep. lot of fun. All right. And we will be back next week. Well, I'm going to be back with Lonnie Pena, and we have a very special guest, uh, Nashville Hall of Fame songwriter Kent Blasey is going to be joining us to talk about his new album, From the Beatles to the Bluebird. Tune in then. Sounds good. Bye. One bit of news. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California.
I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals, but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Turned up nice again. Yeah.